the Social Sit Down Podcast. In today's episode, I will be discussing my thoughts on what Drew Brees had to say in regards to respecting the American flag, a nuanced discussion on whether or not to send your children to play for HBCUs, given the current climate of race relations in America that's going on right now. We'll also touch on some troubling thoughts from Mr. Carl Douglas Esquire of OJ Made in America fame, as well as a tweet by Mr. Terry Crews that went viral over the weekend. So stay tuned. So before I start talking about what Drew Brees said uh, over this past week, I have to take you back to the spring and summer of 2016 before the ESPY started where Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, and LeBron James made an opening statement in regards to the murder of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. Um, this was seen as a very, very powerful and influential move at the time and it was I don't want to say it was expected but because it came from the NBA it was it was not met with the hostility that you would think would be met with because the, the NBA seems to be the more progressive of the three major sports leagues here in America between the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. So the question that that happened after that particular moment was what would the NFL do in response to the killings that took place in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Minneapolis, Minnesota? There wasn't really talks being scuttlebutt around into in the media letting the fans know what would take place and I'm pretty sure a lot of people in the NFL really didn't know exactly how to go about doing something as big as NBA players did because they wouldn't have had the platform of the ESPYs to do it they'd have to do it some somehow some way during the season one man in particular decided that he would make a statement by sitting during the national anthem. A young man, of course, is Colin Kaepernick. It took, I want to say, all of preseason before anybody noticed that that was what he was doing. He was just sitting on his behind during the national anthem. Once the anthem was over with, he'd get up, he'd start playing uh, whenever he was in the game, or he'd be on the sidelines just, you know, doing regular stuff. When the media came and asked him about it, he explained in detail what he was doing and he got some backlash over it. So, in order for the narrative not to be stolen away from what he was doing, which was the protest of police brutality in the United States of America for black and brown people. It was seen as disrespectful just to be sitting there on your behind during the national, uh, excuse me, the national anthem being played. So Colin Kaepernick reached out. One of the people who responded back to him was a Green Beret, former Green Beret, Nate Boyer, 
who used to play for the Seattle Seahawks. Nate Boris said that it was high. Yes, it's highly disrespectful just to be out there while the national anthem is playing and sitting on your behind showing a, a total utter lack of respect for the men and women who fought for this country. Um, blah, 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 whoop de whoop. Cause I, I'm center myself. So on the behest of Nate Boyer, Colin Kaepernick decided, all right, I'm going to be more respectful because I don't want the initial, the initial protest to be taken away and somebody to run with this. I'm going to genuflect. I'm going to drop down on one knee. I'm going to show my respects to flag and country. But I'm still protesting the brutality shown by police officers to black and brown men in this country. He explained that as he was walking off the field, then again as he was met by the media in his locker room, he explained in 2016 the reason why I am taking a knee is not to disrespect this country, not to disrespect this flag, not to disrespect the national anthem. It is in peaceful and silent protest of police officers taking black and brown lives into their own hands because either they were in fear of their lives, they're not properly, they weren't properly trained, or just because they had it on their mind that day that they were just going to use their weapons and whoever, whoever got in the way, they were going to get it. During that time frame, a lot of political figures, a lot of fans of all races, and one Drew Brees came out publicly and stated that he found that even though, even though Colin Kaepernick went from sitting on his behind to talking to somebody who's actually in the freaking military to kneeling, I do not like people disrespecting the flag and the anthem of the United States of America. All right. Cool. During this peaceful protest, this American man, he exercised his right as an American was called out by the president of the United States of America during this peaceful protest. He's referred to as a son of a bitch. Not only is that disrespectful to him, it's disrespectful to his mother. And in the in in the in the non-civil world, you get your ass whipped for something like that. But Colin, along with some of the other players around the NFL who were bold enough to follow in his footsteps, took it on the chin, kept on rolling with it, right? Since then, we've had several incidents caught on film, caught on tape, caught on cell phones, whatever of policemen beating the crap out of old ladies 
slinging children to the ground. Going into people's homes and killing them. And this latest incident that we've had that has dis- that has disrupted the entire world is this punk-ass cop named Chauvin who for close to nine minutes put his knee on another man's neck. Listen to him scream and beg for his life as he just sat there with his hands in his pocket with no remorse. This evil human being who just so happens to be a police officer, at least he used to be, killed a man. Giving us visual evidence of the, the main thing that Colin Kaepernick was taking the knee for. Somebody who had a voice was trying to give a voice to the voiceless, which is everyone's civic duty in this country. (sighs) Fast forward to about a week ago. Andrew Christopher Breeze was on a financial Yahoo Finance show. I'm assuming he was talking about his myriad of businesses and different financial. I don't know and I don't care. Somehow this this kneeling for the national anthem came up again. Andrew is Boldly as he was in 2016 and 2017, given the current climate of what is going on in this country today, at this moment, steadfast, without blinking, without thinking, obviously, said he will never respect anybody who quote unquote disrespects the flag. And he gave his little reasons because of his grandfathers that fought in World War II and the respect that he has for them. And he put it in a way that everybody who does not share his beliefs and his sentiments and his feelings to hell with them. All right. There there were people that came out and expressed the debris. Look, man. My grandfather, or grandfathers, plural, also fought in World War II. But not only were they in the United States Army fighting a foreign terrorist and the Germans and the Nazis, they had to come home and fight through Jim Crow and the KKK. Matter of fact, for some African Americans, the joining the military was was a a great deal to them because not because of the welcome they got when they got home no 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 you you can read the stories about african-americans coming home from world war ii and the treatment they received just for wearing their their uniforms from the war that they fought some of them were beaten some of them were killed some of them learned weapons training some of some of them learned war tactics And they took those tactics back to their hometowns 
and they defended their families and their neighborhoods and some of their businesses from terrorist attacks from white supremacists. I mentioned before in podcast previous to this one about the 1965 NFL-AFL All-Star Game that was supposed to take place here in New Orleans and how a young man named Ernie Ladd had a gun pointed to his face because back in those days, 1965, keep in mind World War II was in the 40s. This is 1965 in the South. Ernie Ladd was a colored boy. You can't eat at the same restaurants. You can't sleep in the same hotels. You can't even catch a cab in New Orleans unless you had a white boy vouch for you. Then you were good enough to get in that cab and keep your hands where I can see them. This was swept under the rug, of course, because New Orleans was on the books to get a brand new NFL expansion franchise that eventually became the New Orleans Saints. The team that took a risk on you, Mr. Drew Brees, when your shoulder was messed up. Same city. Back in 2005, we, along with a lot of cities and states in the Gulf Coast area, going through the horrors of Hurricane Katrina and its aftermath. And the United States government looked at this city, saw all those colored faces on the television screen, and had a debate on whether or not to offer help to the city of New Orleans while women were being raped Elders were being beaten. Lawlessness was rampant. Our government, under that flag, said, New Orleans, you're on your own. So to see Drew Brees take the stance that he took so vehemently, so passionately, to many New Orleanians and to many black people was a spit in the face. How can a man who's been surrounded by black people for most of his professional life, college graduate, somebody who doesn't seem to have a bad heart, take the temperature of the social room and come out with these statements. It's very hurtful, very disrespectful, and when I was vibrating on my low frequency, I probably would have said something totally different than I'm saying right now if I would have made the podcast like the the very next day I heard you say what you had to say, Mr. Drew Brees. Um... Now, after the apologies have been made, after your retort to the President of the United States, I'm still iffy on you. I'm still iffy about Drew Brees. I don't think Drew Brees is an evil person. As a matter of fact, uh, 
I am a high school football coach and one of the our home stadium is in a refurbished playground that Drew Brees along with Anthony Davis uh, used funds to help rebuild. I've also been made aware that Drew Brees along with some of his teammates have helped former incarcerated men and women get registered to vote. That is also very, very admirable. Drew Brees, of course, has also given his time and his money to a local high school down here, Lusher. And there's, there's, there's a lot that has been done inside this community as well. But you've also had four years four years to see what's going on in this country what's going on in this city what's going on to the players families who don't even look like you and to see what what the movement that Colin Kaepernick started what it was about what it looked like and to still have still have that position in your heart that's just ready to fire at a moment's notice. It's disappointing, it's disrespectful. And I mean, I, I can accept apologies, but I still don't have to like you. I could play in your refurbished stadium and still not like you man I don't wish any ill will to you your wife or your kids I understand how money works in the National Football League so I know you have to play out at least one more year down here in New Orleans but as of today June the 9th 2020 Drew, it would be nice if you would just go on ahead, finish out your season, retire, and politely leave my city, man. Going back to Texas, homeboy. And I'll, I'll look at your actions from the next state over. And we could just call it a day from there. All right? For my friends and family who will never accept his apology, who will curse Drew Brees out till the day his dying days, I have nothing to say to you either. Do what you do. I'm not mad at you. Can be. Because when Michael Vick did what he, he did with his dog ring, he went to jail. Excuse me. Rewind. He went to prison for two years. Man did everything. He cut his hair. He went to prison, served the maximum sentence for a first-time offender. Just because the color of his skin, don't get it twisted. Uh, came out. He did everything 
He apologized to everyone. And they still have people saying that they would never, I will never forgive you for what you did and blah, 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 whoop-de-whoop. But Drew Brees, hey, man, look at all the good stuff he's done in the past. And you can't just throw people out just because of one bad mistake. Go to hell. Go to hell. So, again, for friends and family members, associates who say, nah, man, I ain't with you on this. Drew Brees go to hell and burn. I'm gonna have to back up and say, "Hey man, that's just, hey woman, that's on you, bro. You got it." And I can't tell you nothing because I know how this game goes. So again, to Drew Brees, yep, I, I'm I'll, I'll watch. You want me to watch and see your actions? Sure, I'll watch. I'll see your actions. I'm a fan of the the team that's in my city. I'm still rooting for my team. But when you when your time is up, man. Let's take a quick recess from the super heavy man. Let's talk about a young man named Mikey Williams, a six foot one, one hundred and eighty pound quote unquote shooting guard I'm gonna go ahead and call him a combo guard cause that's 6 foot 1 bro ain't, ain't nobody trying to get to see you at no shooting guard this young man from California he's the third ranked player in the country first ranked at his position of shooting guard which again that 6 foot 1 is amazing uh, and he's also second in the state and he's just going into his sophomore year why am I talking about Mikey Williams one of the great basketball players in high school at this current period in time because he made the following statement with my social media following and influence i feel that i have the chance to change sports forever there's anybody that is getting paid from me being at their school i'd want it to be my own people i support the black community to the fullest now if you want to read the entire thing that he wrote you can follow him on IG at Mikey, all lowercase, M-I-K-E-Y. The reason I bring him up right now is because it seems like this young man is 100% all in unless the rules change by the time he's a senior in high school that he's going to spend his one and done year at an HBCU. And it looks like he's calling for his fellow class of 2023, the class, some of the classes in front of him and the classes behind him to consider doing the same. And kudos to him, man. Uh, class of 2023, freshman going into sophomores, I think that's what the age range is between 13 and 15 at that time for him to have such a well thought out plan of what he plan on what he wants to do moving forward. I think that's awesome. Whether or not that's going to be effective, mm, it's another story altogether. Currently, we have seventy. Yes, shocking to me too. Seventy historically black colleges and universities, mostly concentrated in the South for obvious reasons. Uh, we won't do a history lesson here. You can go ahead and read some books as to why that is as uh, soon as you finish listening to this podcast, of course. 
I see a lot of people on social media, not only backing this young man, but talking about how they would want their sons to not play football for some of these coaches because there's a lot of them that's coming out to be whew, mad problematic, man. Um, at the University of Iowa, their strength and conditioning coach, Coach Doyle, seems like the... <laughs> The entire 21-year career of him being at Iowa was just hell. If you were a black student, you have uh, defense coordinator from the University of Utah being suspended over a racial slur. I don't even know when he used it. Uh, I I think it was recently. Who, who knows, man? Um, you have a three-year-old situation at the University of Clemson. I think I talked about that the last podcast as well. And Mr. Dabo Sweeney, I'm not going to get into that because, again, this is supposed to be the chill hour. And there's a small incident that took place down at Florida State. Small in the fact that nobody was called outside of their name. Big in the fact that the head coach... <laughs> Seems like he lied, kind of, sort of. Said that he spoke to every player on his football team about what's going on right now. That wasn't exactly true. It was a mass text that was sent out, and if you responded to that mass text, then the coach would reach out back to you. Uh, coach Norvell has since apologized after, after a player on the football team. I think the captain of the football team came out and said that, no, this isn't true. The coach did not talk to any of us. He sent out the mass text. And the only way he would talk to you is if you responded. So, I think a lot of parents are a little bit sick and tired of the stuff that they're hearing now and some of the things that they've heard in the past, perhaps. And they want to start sending their kids to more historically black colleges and universities and again let's think about this for a second because a lot of these places are in need of some hefty donations they're very underfunded I I got the pleasure of spending some time at Delaware State University for spring football and I took a look at their weight room in 2000 and what was this 2016 I believe 2016, their weight room looked like LSU's recreational center weight room when I was going there in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? So, mm, if if people are very hell-bent on this movement, there's, there's going to have to be some things put in place in order for us to help push this through 100%. Um, of these 70 schools I only know of maybe 25-30 of them that compete as far as football is concerned and the reason why I'm talking about football is because football is the cash cow football is how a lot of athletic departments get funded not just the football team I'm talking about football Men's and women's basketball, track and field, baseball, softball, uh, all your Olympic sports. All that stuff happens through football. A lot of the times when you see these big-time schools 
playing these HBCUs is for that million dollar check that finances the entire athletic department. And that is very, very dangerous because a lot of these power five schools, your LSUs, your Texas, USC, Alabama, schools like that, the weight difference from position to position is usually vast. It's it's at least 30 to 50 pounds, at least. And these kids, coaches don't have to get beat up over that. The administrators don't have to get beat up over that. The kids are the ones who, who get to feel that pain and sometimes that embarrassment because some of these scores are ugh, gross. So money 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 if if this is if this is the way we want to go cool i'm fine with that i told you on my last episode i I think we need some some time apart from from the majority of this country to get back on our feet as a collective and if sending your sons and your daughters but again i'm mainly talking about football here sending your sons to play football at HBCUs, then there needs to be a plan in place to help with additional funding for equipment, weight rooms, travel expenses. You have to come up to some of these big-time schools. And I'm, I'm telling you now, I was working for LSU from off and on from 1999 to 2004, and that was the good life. But that was like 20 years ago. And I've only seen from the outside some of the upgrades that they made at that one particular school. It's 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 hard. Recruiting is the lifeblood of all sports. And it's hard to tell a young man to turn down everything he's going to see at a Huey, historically white institution, and say, nah, man, pass all that up. Pass up. All of that, plus being on TV and support your people at HBCU. All right, I'll go to my HBCUs. What are you going to help me do once I get there? And this is one of the things I think we need to think about doing. If this is the movement, if this is the way, as a, as a black collective, the people who are on board with this, not everybody's going to be on board and not everybody's going to be able to come with you on your journey then we have to start adopting because I know not everybody that's pushing this HBCU thing graduated from HBCU I am am an alum of Southern University of New Orleans my sister is an alum of Xavier University of New Orleans Uh, most of my family older relatives because, you know, they couldn't go to the white institutions or alums of Southern University of Baton Rouge. So there's there's a lot of pride as far as, as, as going to some of these schools. But, man, financially speaking, they right now they cannot compete with what's going on in some of these Hueys. So if that's the goal... That's the goal. Let's let's organize. Let's put a plan in place and get this done.
Also, we need to think about if we're going to be giving money like this in droves or in mass, start putting some pressure to have more African-American teachers at these universities. Because right now, HBCUs do not look like they used to look back in the the, the origins of these schools. Um, and that's not to... It's not to, I don't want to sound xenophobic towards any of the educators, professors at HBCUs right now, but I've, I've gone to two different HBCUs in two different states, and it's, it's hard to find a black professor, which is odd to me. I think that if we do give money in mass, we need to start asking, or scratch that, giving your money, demanding that more black educators, more black professors be hired at these HBCUs. Um, I have tons of respect for the men and women who come, come over from different countries to be educators at our HBCUs, but it, it would be nice to see more black faces as teachers. This is one of the main reasons HBCUs have started. One of the main reasons people claim they want to send their children to HBCUs. Also, the reason for the talent gap, again, another reason why these HBCUs were, were started and were highly functioning. On the legal side of this, we need to look at this Prop 48 clause. Because um, back in the day, I'm, I was born in 1977. If there's anybody listening to this podcast around my age, you would know that these SEC schools, and outside of Alabama, they weren't all that great, man. SEC was kind of, garbage compared to to like the Pac-10 and the uh the Big 10 that they couldn't really hang cuz some of your best not all not all but some of your best talents they're going to HBCUs because of prop 48 man a lot of these kids had their athletic ability but some didn't have the grades some just didn't want to be surrounded by I mean, let's be real. These are Southern schools, man. They don't want to be surrounded by racist people, man. Let's be honest. Call a spade a spade. So once the comfort level start getting higher and higher, and once this Prop 48 rule came into place, I want to say in the mid-90s, a lot more African-American students, as far as athletically speaking, started going to these historically white institutions like your Auburn's, your LSU, your Ole Miss, your Florida's, so on and so forth. Um, so again, I'll close this up by saying plan, money, demands, and research. I think this can be pulled off whether it's going to be a mass exodus from Hueys into HBCUs. That's that's a wait and see thing.
but I am I am optimistic from what I've been seeing throughout this entire country, throughout this entire world over the last week and a half. So stay tuned for that as well. All right, so these next two things, I'm going to see if I can smush them together because uh, it's it's not great. I'm going to start off with Mr. Carl Douglas. For those who don't remember Carl Douglas, a very thin man from OJ Made in America fame. He was a lawyer, and he kind of talked like this, and he was very flamboyant and loud and spoke in rhyme and rhythms and... He was <laughs> he was uh, alongside Mr. Kardashian and um, uh, Johnny Cochran during the OJ OJ trial. He was uh, I believe he was the youngest lawyer that was on that team trying to get OJ off for murder, and he was on the Bomani Jones show. I forgot which one. I don't know if it was the Evening Jones. Or if it was his regular show on ESPN, The Right Time. But he... The news that he came with is that... Due to the Rodney King verdict way back in 1992... uh, And those officers getting off... Even with video evidence... Because... Unfortunately, I think that was the thing that that that's damning because there was video evidence of these police officers beating Rodney King and they got off. It's very, very hard to convict police officers for harming citizens, even murdering them. I believe Carl Douglas even said on the right time or on the evening Jones that over the last 20 years in the state of Minnesota, there's only been one police officer charged and convicted of a crime against one of its uh, citizens. And that was the Somali American officer who got his 12 and a half years, uh, for for mistakenly killing that white woman, Miss Justine, uh, I think her name is Ruznicek. I hope I said that right. May she rest in peace. So that means that Officer Chauvin might just get off. He might just get away with murder. So all the, the the fact that he got arrested, the fact that he's being charged with a second degree murder instead of a third degree murder, it, it the way that Carl Douglas broke it down, it seems like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. He there's a strong possibility because that's that's how I mean we all watch <laughs> we all watch these crime shows, man. You. You always go back to precedent that was set in the past to argue present day present day crimes and the Rodney King verdict looms large in this particular particular incident. And I think the Rodney King verdict has been used in pretty much all of these trials. 
So since those officers got off from what they did, um, even though that was assault back in 92, and this is murder, second-degree murder, here in 2020, Carl Douglas said that there's this there's a strong possibility that this officer Chauvin might get away with murder. Now, whether or not he gets to live in freedom, that's a whole other story because uh, people are sick and tired of this. And it's not just black people because, I mean, the cops have been, they've been on one. They have been on one. So, I'm saying this just to prepare your minds and your hearts for the fact that there is a possibility, even with all this foolishness going on, there's still a possibility that this man gets off, this coward, this punk, gets off with murder. The other thing that came about this weekend is a tweet from Terry Crews, and this tweet says... Defeating white supremacy without people, excuse me, let's rewind that. Defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. Equality is the truth. Like it or not, we are all in this together. Um, I don't know what black supremacy is. I've never really heard of black supremacy. Uh... Historically speaking, yeah, you needed white people to 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 end like slavery, but that's because black people were enslaved and white people made the laws while black people were enslaved. So by the laws that they wrote up, they had all the power. So you can kind of sort of do it by yourself. But this tweet, this, this tweet was way out in left field. Now, he did get, of course, he got his blowback. Um, the one respectful tweet, tweet back, clap back, whatever y'all call it nowadays, man, came from a comedian named Godfrey. Yeah, he essentially told him, <laughs> don't fall for the okie doke, man. He described what he was doing was gaslighting, and gaslighting is defined as manipulating someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. So basically, Terry Crews, this is a hard one for me to explain, because it's 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 in my mind, but it's it's hard for me to get out without. Sounded like I'm, I'm on the same side with Terry Crews about this issue because I, I honestly, I do not 100% agree with this. Yeah, you need allies to help you in anything. America didn't get this country by fighting off the British with their own bare hands. They needed the French. Uh, we're only 13% of the people in this country. So we can't... <laughs> We can't defeat the evils of this country alone. Uh, we're going to need some help. But just because we devise a plan to, to, to do this on our own, which is possible, um, 
doesn't turn into black supremacy. Again, we're only 13% of the people here. How can, how in the hell can you have black supremacy uh, over white people represent close to 60% of the population in this country? That's impossible to do. That was And why would you demand help from a perceived enemy who treated you poorly for centuries? You have to test these these people out. You have to vet these people out. You can't just... Terry Crews, unfortunately, has been doing a lot of placating. That has turned a lot of people against him. That's why you need to, you need to give people some time, some years... To see where their heart truly is. And I noticed the whole thing started with Drew Brees. And, and where his heart is. That took some years. Same thing with Terry Crews man. He seemed to be an alright guy. But the more he talks. Either on television. Or social media. It just seems like his heart. And his head is just. Ugh. appreciate you taking the time to listen to me this is episode seven again according to research it takes 100 episodes in order to get grounded in what you're going to do so keep chugging along slowly but surely um in this close i would like to leave you with three bible verses no i'm not that uh, i'm not a religious person i am still journey and a path to seek out more African spirituality than traditional American religion or yeah let's just leave it at that so what's been going on in this country for many 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 years decades centuries um, most people they don't they don't speak to Hebrew Israelites for obvious reasons. They rarely go and speak to brothers and sisters of the nation of Islam, again, for obvious reasons. They tend to ask Christians how they feel. And the mantra, the fight tag is usually forgiveness, forgive, forgive, forgive the Bible says to forgive um, so that's 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 the lane they stand the majority of the time however for those who are stuck on that that wheel of bad thing happens Christians how you feel we forgive Bible says forgive, so I'm going to forgive. And you go through this crap over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, I'm going to be respectful because I really did want to curse. But again, viewership. Here's Here's some Bible verses for you. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Matthew 21 and 12 as well as Matthew 7 16 through 19 
for my non-Christians who do listen to me. Essentially, in the scripture, the first one that I gave out. In layman's terms, it says, man, who the hell do you think you are? Right? Or who the hell do you think you're talking to? That's the first scripture. The second one is pretty much like, bro, what are you doing? What are you doing, bro? I will... And that last one, that last one is especially dedicated to all my let's forgive, let's forgive and move on. Those people that says violence is not the answer. Viola. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Social Sit Down Podcast. Until we speak again, I hope you enjoy.